pay for the heat, which was up too high this morning, or to anything else. We do offering as an act of worship. And so um, if, if God leads you to worship with your offering, lead, leads you to worship with your stuff, there are plates in the back. Uh, we stopped passing them a couple of years ago for some reason and have not resumed, though we may at some point. Um, if you're online and you want to worship like, like uh, with your offering, send it to Box 505 or give it to Daniel Wee, uh, who is our treasurer and handles all that stuff. Um, so uh, that, is, that is kind of an aspect of what we're doing. i got to remember to announce it regularly because I got out of the habit of announcing it and so forth. Also, it's hot in here. Okay, I know that y'all are used to it being about 65 degrees and, or 62 and seeing your breath when you come in and bringing your own blanket and everything else. I generally keep it cooler because when it gets to the 70 degree range, like it's hard to stay awake and my sermons don't help. So uh, I'm going to do my best to keep you awake this morning. Um, but be aware, it's a little warmer than normal. There is uh, gremlins in the heating system. Turn the fan toward me. It's my only fan. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) This is a trap. I know it was. Uh, Okay. At least I have a fan. You're right. Uh, Thank you, dear. You are wonderful. Uh, I, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, maybe a couple months ago, actually, now time flies, Uh, A friend of mine here in town, um, his name is Adam Bjornstead. Some of you guys know Adam. Uh, He and I have been friends for a long time. Um, But because our, like, lives sort of work in different areas, um, and he works nights over at the home, over at the men's home, and I'm kind of where I am, wherever I am, like, uh, we don't see each other that often. And I I ran into him at the rummage sale last year, and I said, hey, Adam, I uh, want to visit with you. I want to talk with you. I want to hang out more. And so we, we agreed that we would sit down and play chess together. I, I learned when I was eight. My dad taught me. And I mean taught me like he taught me the moves, and then he beat me consistently for many years until I moved away. Uh, and I, uh, I never got any good at it. I never really learned how to play properly. I tried reading a book, and there were a lot of things that just didn't make sense to me about strategy and all that. I couldn't make it work. Um, and so a few months ago, I started playing with Adam, and Adam has been playing for more than 20 years. He's a very high-rated player, like using the score system. And just sitting and playing with him and him saying, oh, well, here is something you could do different. Or, well, this is a strategy. It's called this. That's what you're doing. And here are the strengths and here are the weaknesses. And just hanging out and playing chess in my office once a week for, for several months, I've actually kind of come a long way. And it's, it's neat, actually. I'm enjoying it. Um, and I play on my phone and all that, like, and, and I don't really play with other people. I just play with Adam. But there's an interesting thing that happens when you sit down with somebody who's, who's taking on the task of teaching you how to do something. Um, it's just a lot more effective, like, as in terms of learning. Like, like if you're going to have a conversation with somebody and they explain how to do something, it makes you better. Um, everybody who grew up on a farm uh, probably rode on the bucket for years, Right. You know, the really uncomfortable bucket that's awful. And, like, you learned how to operate the machine. And then, eventually, you got to sit in the driver's seat, and dad or mom or whoever sat on the bucket, and they corrected you every two seconds. But you spent probably hours and hours and hours hanging out and talking. Um, This is how teaching happens. 
right? This is how teaching happens ideally. It, it happens through spending time together. I like to believe that I can learn anything just by picking up a book and reading about it. It is actually not true. Like, you do much better in relation to other people. Um, and, and Adam teaching me chess is kind of one of those moments where I was like, oh, wow, this made a huge difference. Um, I diving into our text today, we're going to come back to this style of teaching. We're going to come back to this idea over and over again. Um, but what we're going to be looking at, like we're moving along in the Gospel of Mark, and what we're going to be looking at is Jesus commissioning the apostles. And like, not even the whole thing, just the first half, okay? I'm going to try and not overload this. Uh, next week will be fun because we're going to look at the list of apostles and what happened to them. Um, but in the context of Mark, what has happened is you get this whole section where it reveals who Jesus is, like the Son of God, and where you um, see the opposition building against him. And you find out, like, hey, the old way is leaving and the new way is coming, and the bridegroom is with, is with them, and it's time to celebrate, and soon he'll be taken away. And then it transitions into this, like, like, hey, these guys who are closest to him, who are originally religious outsiders, are being brought into a special role. And so he, like, sets this moment to commission them as apostles. And I'll explain what that means in a second. Um, all of the Gospels have some mention of this having taken place. There was not just 12 guys that followed him around. At one point, he sends out 72 people to do different things. And all that, like there are different times when he's got different followers and groups, but the 12 are the main guys. Um, and we'll talk about that a little more next week, um, the significance of the 12 and all of the stuff that's going on here. Um, one of the things he's going to do in this is he's going to give them authority. Okay? Authority is huge. Um, my daughter loves authority. Uh, she loves authority because she loves telling people what to do, right? Um, a lot of times she assumes authority that is not hers to assume. If I try pulling people over in traffic, it's not going to work out well for me, right? Because I do not have the authority to do so. Though I've met many individuals who do, and they've nicely pulled me over to explain it. Um, and so in the scriptures, authority like, is God's, period, right? When anybody acts with authority, they act with authority that belongs to God, and they stand between God and you with his authority. So a pastor has some authority in the church because we're, like, standing in God's spot. But that authority only works if I'm doing God's thing. If I suddenly start telling you that the only way to heaven is to give me a lot of money, right, like, and there are people who do that. I mean, that is a thing. Those are people who are outside of God's authority. And they're claiming God's authority, and they're using God's name on their own behalf, and they're screwing up. There is no authority apart from God's will. And what we're going to see as a part of this is a stepping stone from the Father to the Son to the Apostles. Um, and, and that's just in advance. Authority is just that. Um, when it talks about husbands having authorities over their wives, all right, be really careful how I say this and so nobody shoots at me. Um, when it talks about that, it says, husband, <laughs> it says, husbands, love your wives like Christ loves the church. Why? Because the husband is Christ to his wife. Like, that's his job. So when he acts like Jesus and when he represents Jesus, he has authority. When he does his own thing, it isn't real authority. It's his own being a jerk thing 
or whatever. So um, understand, like, everything is about authority in the Scripture. Everything about authority is about standing in God's place and doing God's thing. Um, last little bit. What is an apostle? So you get the disciples who are people who are being directly trained. Apostle is a word that just means sent. Got it? I sent him. I send my kids to the grocery store sometimes, and they come back with things that I didn't send them to do, right, outside of my authority. You know, wait a minute, I don't remember telling you to pick up Play-Doh. Why is this on the list? Um, or they'll sneak over there and use my code, right? That's a problem. That's not authority. Apostle means sent. The apostles are only, this is weird, I'm going to talk about it in a video later because there's too much to it to do it right. The apostles only exist for this part of church history. Got it? Anybody who stands up and says, I am the apostle so-and-so, they're not like an apostle. They may be taking that title. They may be a minister. They may be a lot of things. Apostles have a specific role in the church, and they were guys who saw Christ resurrected. Got it? And I'll talk about that in a video this week. I'll teach about it. I'll explain where the scripture supports this. But the initial part is they're sent. Right, So they're disciples who were sent. But eventually, when Christ like ascends into heaven, the apostles are all the guys who saw him resurrected. Um, so moving right along, jumping into the text. Before I jump into this, first off, like the first little bit of this, we're going to see Jesus begin his act of commissioning by going somewhere significant and by praying. Right? Um, that's important. He goes somewhere very specific, very important, and he prays. Uh, let's have a look. First half of 13. We're only doing like five verses today and I'm already eight minutes in. So let's see if we can knock out the rest of them, you know, without taking an hour. Um, he went up on the mountain is the Mark bit, right? But Luke includes a little more in those days. He went up on the mountain to pray and all night he continued in prayer to God. Now, First off, him going up on a mountain. Why does that matter? Well, um, in the ancient world, mountains were seen as a location where you were close to God. And so, like, a lot of times you would, ancients believed, you would go up on the mountain, you'd be closer to God because you're up there, right? Uh, where do storms happen? Up there. So if you go up on the mountain, you're closer. Um, and there are a lot of instances in the scripture where you see mountains as locations where God meets people where they're at. Is that because mountains are actually where God meets us? Absolutely not. It's because people believed that and God met them in terms of what they believed and how they understood and everything else. Okay? Um, so Jesus showing up at this mountaintop, Jesus being on the top of this mountain to pray, um, it's significant because he's stepped out of the crowd. He is by himself. And he has gone to a place that is often associated with, like, significant religious moments. The Ten Commandments were given to Moses on... Mount Sinai, right? Like Abraham offered to Isaac as a sacrifice on Mount Moriah, which is also Zion, by the way. So Jesus was crucified in the same place on Mount Moriah, which later came to be known as Mount Zion or whatever. Anyway, um, so this mountaintop thing, it's significant. So like when they include this mention, when Mark just in his one little half a thing says he goes up to the mountain, it's a cue. As a reader, you might say, oh, something's about to happen. Something big, right? And something big does happen. Um, and then he prays. And he doesn't just pray for like five minutes. He prays all night. He sits and talks to God and seeks direction and guidance and like communes with God like all night. And why? Because 
Christ, over and over again, I'm not getting into the theological intricacy of this, just understand, Christ chose to submit to the Father's authority, and so he would look for the Father's direction and authority before he would take action. And so what we see Jesus doing here, he is God, they're both God, I know it's confusing, just trust me on it, okay? Um, If you really want to know, ask me later, maybe I'll do a video, but I'm not explaining it right now. Um, He seeks God's direction regarding who, what, when, the timing, everything else is what we can assume. At a minimum, he's looking to God and saying, all right, this is the stage we're at. What now? Or this is the stage we're at. Let's get ready. Or this is the stage we're at. Show me your will or be with me as I do your will or whatever. We don't know exactly what he prayed, but we know he went and he prayed. Why does that matter? It matters because sometimes we don't do that. And it's a really good example, right? Anybody ever pick a direction just based on a whim? Anybody pick a major in college based on a whim? I have a philosophy degree. Um, (laughs) Sometimes we do all kinds of stuff because it seems like, hey, this seems like a good idea. Whereas what we see Christ doing, and particularly with this, when he chooses people to be his representatives, he stops and he prays about it. And he prays some more, and then he prays some more, and then he prays some more, and he prays all night. He seeks God's direction first and foremost, because all authority that Christ has is given to him by the Father. He says it a couple times, and then he is about to hand authority on to these apostles. So, mountaintop, big important spot. Um, The next thing we're going to see in this here, right, big idea, Jesus does all of the acting here, right? Not acting like acting. But he is the one who is the initiator. He does everything. Next week, we're going to come back and pick at this little verse a little bit. But I'm going to try and do my best to explain. But everything that happens is a result of his initiative and actions. And in some ways, and this is the big thing for next week, it's the Old Testament playing into the New Testament. This is actually like an ancient Jewish reader reading this in the original language would catch a bunch of these weird little, like, like, clues in it where he's doing like an act of creation, and he is recreating Israel and all of that other stuff. But next week, got it? Now you're all on the edge of your seat. Um, And he went up on the mountain and called to him and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to to him and he appointed them, and he appointed the twelve whom he also named apostles. Um, so what does he do? Does, do they come to him? Yes, they do, but not until after he calls them. Hey, get over here, right? And then he looks through and he picks, he selects, and he makes them apostle. Actually, the phrasing there is a little um, odd. I don't want to get into it today. But it says that he created them apostles, which is really a loaded statement. But everything he is doing here is him doing, Right? Like, we, we like phrases, I have decided to follow Jesus. We decide to follow Jesus after he calls us. And in calling, we see a bunch of crazy stuff happen throughout the Gospels. There are people that Jesus calls, and then they're like, yeah, I don't know. Right? Rich young ruler we talked about in Sunday school. You know, hey, what else do I need to do to be saved? And Jesus says, hey, sell everything you own and come with me. And he's like, Everything? Like, oh, that sounds hard, right? Because Jesus calls him. He says, follow me. And the guy says, yeah, I'm, I don't know that I'm going to do that. He might have followed him. We don't really know. It doesn't say. But sometimes people said no. There are other instances in the scripture where 
people say, hey, I'm going with you. And Jesus says, nah, hang back. Like there's a demon-possessed fella in uh, one of the ten, the Deca, whatever, the ten cities. And this guy, like, just casts demons out of him. And he says, hey, I'm going with you. And Jesus says, no, go home and tell them what happened. That's it. He says, no, which is weird, isn't it? Like, Jesus is the one who is in control. He picks who does what job, everything. Um, That's not a small deal. It's easy to miss because a lot of times in our culture, we want to be in charge. And we want God to co-sign on our in charge. You know what I mean? I've often heard people say, I will not believe in a God who will not bless this. Or I will not believe in a God who would, like, punish sin. I will not believe in a God who would allow people to die. I will not believe. And whose will is that? It's my will, not his. Ultimately, Christ is in control with the authority that the Father gave him. So he calls these guys up and he creates them as apostles. Um, moving right along. Um, I know it's like, it's not even eight verses, it's like three verses. But there's so much in this and I'm compacting it quite a bit. Um, the calling to apostleship involves three jobs. Got it? There are three things he puts out in front of him. He tells him, these are it. This is why I'm doing it. This is what you will do. Um, aspects of those three jobs are a part of our calling today. Everybody with me? Like, all calling is like this. Not just apostleship, right? Which is a whole other animal I'm not getting into today, but like not just this calling, but it is a model for all calling that follows. Um, What does it look like? Well, we'll read the whole verse all at once. And the appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. What are you with my, I lost my glass. Um, Three things. doesn't seem like it's like a whole sentence, right? But there are three things here. What is the first one? Well, work. There it goes. Um, and he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. First and foremost in the process of calling is spending time with Jesus. Why? Because you can't learn chess well from a book. Got it? You can't learn chess well if you don't play the game a little bit. You can't learn it well if, um, if you're just trying to do it all in your head. Like, like sitting down and learning with another person. When Adam sat down and started teaching me how to play it, like a lot of the weird mystery of it went away. And stuff began to make sense. I learned that, oh, wow, it's not just one game. It's actually three parts of one game, the beginning, the middle, and the end. And you play different in each part. And there are actual goals you want to accomplish in each part. And I wouldn't have figured that out on my own ever. Um, But Adam explained it, and all of a sudden it made sense, and I suddenly got a whole lot better at the game um, just by him explaining that. Being with Jesus involves us living our lives with him. It involves us, like, spending time with him, talking to him, learning from him, training with him, and acting as witnesses. We'll get to the acting as witnesses in a second. But if you don't spend time with Jesus, you will not grow spiritually. Everybody with me? Easy enough. Oh, so that means I read my Bible more and I pray. Sort of. Not just that. Follow me here. Um, one of the, like, some of the best moments of encountering Christ I have had in my life have happened 
around other believers who've acted like Jesus. The first glimpse I got of Jesus in my life was um, at a church picnic where people were just really, really loving and nice to me, even though I was weird and awkward and, and like sort of goofy and everything else. Like these people were just super nice to me. And I'm like, that's awesome. I want this, right? I don't know what it is. I want it. I didn't realize until later it was Jesus, Jesus coming through in them. We as a congregation, right, when folks go out and do things for folks and show the love of Christ to the people they encounter, they're being Jesus to people. Like when we sit down and we do lunch at this annual meeting, right, we're sitting with Christ through the body of Christ of the church. When we like spend time with other believers just having conversations. When we go to Bible studies, when we go to Sunday school, we do any of that stuff. We're spending time with Christ through the body. Which, by the way, I've heard people say, well, I don't go to church anymore because I never learn anything there. I pretty much have it and everybody's too mature for me. And the answer is you're not that mature because your job is then to be Jesus to the people who are there. And if they're not doing it very well, love them until they learn to do it because you can't learn chess by yourself. And you can't learn to be Jesus unless you spend time with Jesus. I, uh, I, I, I cannot emphasize this enough. It is, not, it is not just prayer. Prayer is important, right? It just is. It's conversation with God. Studying the Word is important. But if you do not stand in a circle of people who can look at you and say, you're messing up. Or who can encourage you when you struggle. You're just going to be by yourself. I was reading recently about men uh, leaving wives and cheating on wives. And there was a thing that flashed in my head. um, That we live in a culture where men are isolated and live alone. And so nobody is there to say, dude, you are absolutely dropping the ball. Right. I, I had a guy I knew I worked with in Indiana who worked insane hours, just crazy hours. And he would find things to do that weren't his job. And he would just be at work for 15 hours a day, 16 hours a day. And after about a year of that, he got divorced. And I was uh, I didn't talk to him about it. He just he was a shut door. He never talked to anyone. And I I another Mutual friend said, yeah, I feel bad for the guy. He just, he's been hiding at work for a year because he didn't know how to talk to his wife anymore. And he hid from her and he hid from her and he hid from her and she left him. And it's like, well, shouldn't somebody have said something? Shouldn't somebody have said like, hey, go fix your situation. Don't hide from it. Like that's not what men do. But men, we oftentimes, like, we live isolated. We don't tell anybody about ourselves. We don't want anybody to be a part of our lives. All we have is go to work, come home, go to work, come home, go to work, come home. And if you live isolated, you will start to mess up, and there will be no one to say, you're blowing it. Oftentimes, we don't have friends who are close enough to us to do that. The best friends and the most trusted people I have in my life are the people who will tell me, you're screwing up. And so spending time with Jesus sometimes means spending time with people who he's called and commissioned who will then look at you and say, for Jesus, what are you doing? Isn't that hard? So our second task. Oh, my gosh. Through it. Um, So that they might be with him. So like the first purpose of Jesus calling was to be with him to learn. 
right? And then he might send them out to preach. Now, this means that they were supposed to just go and tell people what they saw and what they learned. Got it? Not hard. Not hard at all. Tell people, right? Hey, I struggled too. This is the truth. Hey, like sin is dragging you down. Here is what Christ has for us. Sometimes it's just, hey, here, I brought you a loaf of bread. Hey, I dug out your driveway for you. I hope everything is good in your world, right? As a first step in being Christ to the people you encounter. And then words start coming out of your mouth. Like, like, and it's weird. I saw one of my favorite Babylon Bee articles uh, was about a group of women. You know the Babylon Bee. It's like a funny like parody making fun of Christians in the world, like as Christians. He said, you know, that this group of women in this particular church got together and they had a women's group and they committed themselves to going and telling the world about the good news of Plexus. <laughs> I mean, you can add a bunch of other stuff, right? Like the good news of whatever. I'm not going to start throwing things out there because I'll get killed. Um, but it's weird. Isn't it easy to tell people about your multi-level marketing scheme than it is to tell them about Jesus who will keep them from going to hell? It's funny how that is. The gospel is what we exist for. That's it. That's it. Everything we do surrounds the gospel. It revolves around the gospel. It is rooted in the gospel. And so if we spend time with him, spending time with him, we'll keep our eyes on that thing. And then we'll say, hey, you know, this is where I'm at. One of the things I really struggle with is I studied a whole lot of um, mental health. And it was a whole separate part from my studying Bible. And sometimes I struggle to stop and say, hey, here's sort of the spiritual side of the thing you're doing. Right? Because I can help somebody get over anxiety just by using, like, tools. But if they get over anxiety without Jesus, then they got a whole other set of problems. Right? At the core of it, telling people about Jesus, telling people about the truth of the world we live in, it's, it's part of who we're supposed to be. It's part of our calling in life. Uh, third, our... Oh, Wow. Uh, our third task um, he sent them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons now I'm going to tiptoe through this section tiptoe got it Um, ancient Jews believed that the messianic age would be marked and filled with the casting out of demons and the putting of evil spirits in their place um they were like they were looking for a sign in that, which is funny because every time Jesus then cast out demons, what would they do? Well, you're doing that by the power of Satan. What are you doing? Right? Because they have no idea what's going on. They're like heads are stuck somewhere. Um, that, no, that no. Anyway, they were given authority to cast out demons. They were given authority to put demons in their place because this was an expectation they had. Um, throughout history, I think this has taken different forms. Back then, like you would see people casting out demons. Do I think that happens today? Absolutely. I worked for 10 years in mental health with, with kids who were abused and, and, and had drug problems and everything else. And I've seen stories and things that have convinced me through and through and through and through that demons are a thing. And we have authority over that. I am not going to like, teach a class on how to cast out demons. I'm not doing that. Um, however, I will say this, that when we pray, we take authority. Right? 
when we point and say that is wrong, we push back the power of darkness, right? You know that um, in our history, in the history of the world, like the majority of anti-slavery movement has come out of the church, period. The church is the only, like the Christian church is the only organization over the thousands of years since its birth that has said this cannot happen. It will end. You know, we've been on the other side of the equation too, and that was stupid and wicked and wrong. Um, but if you look at like England, Wilbur, Wilbur, Wilberforce, I can't say the guy's first name, I don't remember it. William, it is his fault for having a name like that. He led the charge to wipe out slavery in England. Like, if you want to talk about something that was pushing back against demonic forces, that's it. Actually, from the beginning, when Emperor Constantine was converted, he began to implement actions to limit and tamp down and eventually kill slavery in Rome. Unheard of. Nobody had ever done anything like it. You read the gospel or the Bible, Philemon, written by Paul, basically says, hey, hey, don't own your brother. Right? You read it. It's a whole book about don't own slaves. Right? Like, do not own your, your brother. But don't do it. Um, it's actually a really fun book. Nobody ever quotes it. Uh, but that was fighting against wickedness. We fight against evil all the time when we stand and we act like Jesus to the world around us. Is it always demons? Sometimes it's just people. People are evil. They are. It's funny to me because we, I, like, I, find, I meet people all the time. We'll find Satan under every rock. And in reality, like, we don't need any help. Right? But our job, our authority is over wickedness and evil in the world. And sometimes our job is just to say, this isn't right, knock it off. This isn't right, like repent of this, turn, go the other way. Um, these are our three tasks, the three things. He tells his disciples, go out and do this stuff. And so they become apostles because they go from being taught to being sent, Right? Each of us, like, what do we do with this? So this is what the apostles got. This is the direction they were given. Um, so even though the apostolic role, even though that part is over, this list still applies. It just does. And it applies to all of us. Um, Dallas Willard talks about discipleship, and I'm, discipleship is connected to this, right? Talks about discipleship, and he says, too long Christians have looked at discipleship and acted like it was leather seats in the car they were buying. Yeah, I don't need that part. It's too expensive. Right? I don't know that I've ever... Have we ever owned a car with leather seats? Oh, we have? Woohoo! Um, I don't need to be... I'm not running for Jesus. I just need to get into heaven, right? That's not how it works. We know Christ, and a part of knowing Christ is being recreated into who Christ made us to be. Discipleship is a part of the job, right? If I went and got a role in a musical, but I never learned the lines of the songs or how to sing or any of the choreography or anything else, number one, it would probably be a better musical for it. But number two, I would be faking my way through the whole thing, and I would really, really not be doing my job. If you have a role, if you are a follower of Christ, it means you follow Christ. It means you spend time with Jesus. It means you spend time with other believers. Now, I'm not saying, like, I know folks who do not like have anxiety problems and, and different issues that have kept them out of like Sunday worship. There are a lot of people who are like homebound and don't come in. Like, so we have our online church stuff and we try to minister and show Jesus to those folks as best we can. But 
Part of the deal is you spend time with other believers, period. That's how you grow. That's how you do these things. Like these various things, this discipleship component, learning the word, learning what God has said to us, learning who we're supposed to be, having people who can call us out on our garbage, and we all have some, right? That is a part of the deal. So his calling on us as believers, we can do like the rich, rich young ruler, right? Yeah, maybe not. Ah, that sounds like a lot. Yeah, I'm going to go for the economy version of Christianity. I don't think I'm going to do the calling. I think I'm going to buy the fire insurance. There is no such thing as fire insurance. Got it? You all know that phrase? Anyway, ask me later if you didn't get it. Like, it doesn't work that way. There are times where he says, hang out and wait. What do I mean by that? I thought I was going to go to seminary and be a pastor right out of college. I was going to go straight away to seminary. Had I gone to seminary, I would be a train wreck. So instead, mostly of my own effort, I failed Greek, could not finish the pre-seminary requirements, did not go to seminary until 15 years later, something like that, was the best thing that could have happened to me, best thing that could have happened to me. Ask Jeremy Erie, who has taken a long hiatus on his way to becoming what God has called him to be, right? Sometimes God says, hey, wait, learn, grow. Sometimes we think, my job is to go to Hawaii and be a minister in Hawaii. Of course that's my job. And it's not your job because you don't get to pick your job. Got it? You get to go where you are sent. There's a joke amongst, not actually, it's my joke. I've never heard another pastor tell it. How do you know where God is calling you to do ministry next? Who's paying you the most? (laughs) Well, does God want me to go over there? I don't know. What are they paying? It's a joke. In reality, in reality, God tells us where to go. When you learn to walk with him and hear his voice, he tells us, like, it becomes very easy. It becomes much easier. It becomes much more obvious. Can we tell him, I'm going to do my thing? Absolutely. I worked at a church that had this great worship team, and we had a lady who was before my time, but she came to that church and said, my gift in ministry is song. And she sang for the minister, and he about fell over because she could not sing. And he tried to explain to her, not everybody gets to pick their ministry. Nobody does. Jesus called his disciples, apostles. He calls people to different roles. He gives people different jobs. Do they follow our giftedness? Sometimes. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes he creates us into it. So we can ignore it. We can pick a different direction. We can try and jump the gun. But we all, all, all have a calling from Christ. We all have a calling to submit to him, to come to know him, to become like him. Um, So as disciples and followers of Jesus, these are how being a Christian works. We spend time with him. We pray. We read. We spend time with other believers. We worship. I find worship hard. I'm not even going to lie. I can't sit still. I hate sitting still. And so I have to move around and do stuff. And I try to worship at the same time. And it's hard for me. But it's an important part of being a believer. Right? You worship him because he's God. You spend time with him. You do these things. And in doing those things, we become like him. It changes us. Um, We speak the truth in love. The truth of the gospel, not the truth of plexus. Nobody sells plexus here, right? Like I didn't just. Not the truth of our political party. Not the truth of whatever. We speak the gospel. We speak Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. And we act with his authority. Sometimes his authority is just saying, This is sinful. You need to knock it off. 
sometimes his authority means in church settings saying, hey, what you're doing is sinful, and if you don't knock it off, you need to understand you won't be forgiven. Like, we, I've been blessed. I haven't had to do that, right? But I've known guys who cheated on their wives and were very open about the fact that they were going to keep doing it. And you got to back up and say, dude, you can't think God's going to ignore that. You just can't. He'll forgive anything, but you have to repent. you got to turn. you got to everything. So we have authority that comes with it, but it all works together. And ultimately, you can't do... You can't speak the truth in love if you're speaking it on your own, right? Because you require Christ to know the truth. You require intimacy with Christ to be able to love people even when they're unlovable, to do this stuff right. Um, You cannot have authority if you don't know what his will is and if he hasn't given it to you. And so all three of these are a part of being a believer. And, like, if you look at yourself, ask. Just ask. Am I treating it like the optional extra I don't want? curb feelers on the vehicle of life that's a thing still right or am i ignoring it because it's just too much right now jesus i will follow you when i am done with school with my kids until then you're on hold right because people said that hey can i follow you after my father dies and i bury him he's like nope let the dead bury their dead you follow me um the truth is to know christ and to follow him to walk with him it's a right now thing. Look at yourself and ask, do I talk to him? When was the last time I really sat down and talked to Jesus? When was the last time I really sat down and said, Jesus, I'm depressed. Jesus, I'm struggling. Jesus, I'm lonely. Jesus, everything is good. Thank you so much. I was reading about ancient Jewish men. Every morning they had like 200 prayers they would say. And they weren't memorized prayers necessarily. They would get up in the morning and say, God, thank you that I am alive today. And they'd go out. God, thank you for the beauty of the sun and the earth around me. They'd go to work. God, thank you for the meaning that I get through the work in my life. God, thank you for And they would just say thank you over and over again. Believe it or not, that's talking to God. Isn't that amazing? If I stopped talking to my wife, our relationship might improve but probably wouldn't. Right? It would probably make our marriage worse. Find anyone who doesn't talk to their spouse and tell me how it's going. You will not know Christ if you don't talk to him. So ask yourself, when was the last time I talked to Jesus? When was the last time I sat down with other believers and I learned about the word? Oh, I study it on my own all the time. But when was the last time you did it with other people? Because actually the ancient Jews, they would argue, like to read the scriptures alone is to grow in ignorance. Because you need other people to bounce ideas off of and to say, hey, Hey, what are you talking about? That's not true. Like, you're way off in left field. Like, look at this right. We need other people to call us out on our junk. Like, when was the last time you did that with people? In this church, there are Bible studies. Monday morning, early, early, we have a Bible study, right? There is a, an eerie Bible study, eerie-homed Bible study for women. There are opportunities. Um, if you have nobody who has ever sat down and talked to you about how to grow spiritually, come talk to me. Go talk to Jeremy, talk to Adam, talk to there are a bunch of people in this church who know how to grow spiritually. Talk to them and grow. But it's done in pairs. It's done in a group. It's done as a part of the church in connection to the church. And if you're not suited, so like, like there are jobs to do all over the place. Like there's work to be done. Our staff are wonderful people, including my, well, not including myself, but I am a part of the staff. But we're like the least organized people in the world. Just are. That's something the church needs. The church needs people who can show up and make coffee. 
church needs people who can sit in the back and operate a computer. The church needs people who can sit at the camera for more than five minutes. The body of Christ needs people who will visit folks in their homes, who will bake cookies and show up and say, hey, I was praying for you here. The body of Christ needs people who will visit folks in the hospital or rush out there before they sneak out the door. The body of Christ needs folks who will help repair stuff. Because doing is a part of the equation. Many of us look and say, I don't feel called to do that. If you don't feel called to do that, that's fine. But the question is, do you feel called to do anything? Look at your heart. Look at your life. Look at your actions. Are you hearing the call and turning up the stereo? Are you hearing the call and saying, hey, not right now? My challenge for you this week is to is to answer it, is to respond, is to spend time with Jesus first and foremost, not because you feel guilty, but because you need him, because your life doesn't work without him. I'm going to close in prayer, and I'll let you go. Just under 40 minutes. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us. I pray that you would be with the folks who are here who... Um, who felt nudged this morning, who felt challenged, who felt pushed, who felt the Holy Spirit like, like, like poking at them and saying, hey, what about you? Who felt convicted of sin that they keep hidden and don't want anybody else to hear or see. Who have gifts that they're burying in their backyard instead of using them to help other believers grow and mature spiritually. Who are trying to jump the gun on God's calling and not listening or growing first. Heavenly Father, whoever they are, whatever it is, I pray that you would move in their lives and make them better. Help them to know you. Help them to train in the faith and not train by themselves because you can't, you can't learn it by yourself. Being a believer is part of a body. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.